turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 1. Today we're going to begin a series I've entitled Breaking Babylon. Um, This has been birthed in my heart over the last couple of months. Uh, The Lord laid this in my spirit. I had something else that I I was prepared to begin teaching on. And uh, the Lord just put an urgency in my heart about this. And uh, what we're going to do in weeks ahead is parallel uh, the experience of Daniel and his friends' lives as they were in Babylon, exiled, as Israel was exiled there because of her disobedience. Um, And uh, there's just a lot of very powerful, uh, powerful parallels there about where we're at in our culture. And I want to, today I'm going to say some things that are going to be hard to listen to. I'm going to say some things that... I know probably some of you are going to say, Pastor, all you're doing is complaining, but I really just want to lay a foundation of where we're at today in our culture and also begin to cast vision for what I believe God is doing. It's not what I believe, what God is doing. It's what I know God is doing. And there's some things that the Lord is stirring in my spirit and uh, some things that I'm looking forward to that He's going to do here in our midst and around us and in this community uh, one promise he's given me recently about our, about our community and our church involvement in it that uh, I won't speak about just yet, but something that was very clear to me last week that I'm excited about. But I, I want us to know, and I don't know if you've caught this or not, or recognized this or not, uh, we no longer live in a Christian nation. Now, a few years back, President Obama got up and said that publicly in the church Folks got frustrated and said, what did he just say? He said, we're not a Christian nation. Folks, we are, we are so gone from our government. Can I just be honest with you this morning? Our government has apostated itself against God. Our government has been given over to a depraved mind, an attitude of depravity in which it has thumbed itself, thumbed its nose in the face of God and has said, we will not follow your laws, we will not follow your paths, and we will not follow your holiness or your morality. We will make our own laws, we will make our own images and our own gods, we will pressure the church, we will pressure all religions to accept this image of God that we have made for ourselves. That's our government, folks. That's where we're at today in the United States of America. We are no longer a Christian nation. Now, we are a nation that was founded on Judeo-Christian values. We are a nation that left a government much like what ours is becoming today. We are a nation. I don't understand why the United States of America for so many years has longed to be like Europe. We left there. Let's not be like the people we left. We founded this nation on Judeo-Christian values and principles. Now, I don't want to just stand up here and harp about the current administration or the current Congress or Senate. Listen, folks, our our culture has been declining morality-wise for the last 75-plus years to 100 years. But the reason we've been able to take leaps and bounds over the last couple years, we're going to see why here in, in the Scripture here in just a minute. So I don't just point out our current president. Well, let me say this. I will point out our current president on one thing. Some people right now say, Preacher, you're not supposed to get political in the pulpit. I'm sorry, the political realm has crossed over into the religious realm, and when they do that, I'm going to talk about the political realm. You don't sit in Washington and mandate that boys and girls can use each other's bathrooms and shower rooms at free will. 
You don't do that. What in the world is going on? What are we doing? I, I, I don't understand why we are where we are. And the Lord laid on my heart, said, Bob, you're living in Babylon right now. And we are living in a culture that is so full of idolatry, so full of its selfish, immoral, pride-filled ways. It is lashing out at the church. It's lashing out at me. It's lashing out. The very things that I'm saying this morning is, is the, the type of thing that here, as soon as they're able to do it, they're going to pull away uh, the fact that we're a, t- a nonprofit tax, uh, tax-exempt uh, business or whatever you want to call us. Listen, folks, I, I am not going to be afraid to speak the truth as it pertains to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. And, and life shifts when you live in Babylon. You worship differently. You pray differently. And we're going to learn a lot of those things when we start paralleling with Daniel. You know, I tell you all this, and I, and I, I don't want to discourage you. I tell you this in the power of the Holy Spirit, with a prophetic word, that this is not a time to be silenced. It's not a time to be destroyed or anything else. God is bringing the church in America to her finest hour. I say that with absolute confidence. I say that with absolute boldness. Many of you remember last year in 2015, um, we were on vacation. We were in Florida. I was laying on the bed doing my devotions that morning uh, before I would put on all that stuff and go out to the beach. I was reading Leviticus. Why would you read Leviticus on vacation? It's just where I was at. So I'm reading Leviticus, and the Lord puts in my heart. Some of you remember this. The Lord, just out of the blue, speaks to me and says, I'm returning for a bride that's white. I'm looking at Leviticus thinking, Lord, what in the world are you talking about? This has nothing to do... And he told me this. He said, the purification of the church in America has begun. And there was an urgency in the spirit when he said it. He, there was a joy. There was an excitement. Like, he couldn't wait to tell me. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where it was like, oh, no. It, no, folks, you have to understand, there was an excitement. There was a jumping. There was a leaping of the spirit within me saying, this is what's going to happen. Well, six weeks later, the Supreme Court decision of, of, of gay marriage passed through. Gay marriage is now illegal and forced upon every state in the United States of America. And folks, since then, we don't even know which bathroom to use anymore. It's, it's become a big issue. Now, I don't say that in disrespect to anybody that's struggling with an identity issue. God knows I have dealt with many people that have struggled with homosexuality and other things. And I say that with the greatest of love to them. That listen, my friend, this is not God's will for you. And it's not only not God's will for you. God didn't create you like this. And this is sin-based This is flesh-based, and He wants to deliver you. That's the message of love to them. Just like God delivered me from pornography. Just like God delivered me from any other lust or sin that was in my life. God wants to deliver the homosexual. They want to deliver those that have identity issues. We get that. That's the power of God. He can do it. Do you believe it? That's the call of God on their lives. So the purification of the church in America has begun. And what America is facing is not for the destruction of the church. A lot of us get afraid that 
Oh no, the church is the church this, the church that. Everybody's attacking the church. Listen, this is not for the destruction of the church. It's for the destruction of the flesh in the church. There's too much flesh in the church. Too much living one foot in the world and one foot in church. One foot in God, one foot in the world. There's too much buffet style Christianity where you pick and choose what you want. And what God is doing this day, in this hour, with the things that are happening around us, is not to destroy you, my friend. It's to destroy the flesh in you. It's to destroy the things that stand in opposition to God that are inside of you. It's for you to begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit than to live out the desires of your flesh. It's that simple. We are in a time now and will continue to be in a time where we will see who are really the children of God and who are really the children of this world. God has called us out of this world into holiness. Very simple. He's doing a work in us. So as we look at this exile coming up, we're not even going to get into the book of Daniel today, but we're going to see how God gave the Jews into Babylon. He gave them over to their lusts. He gave them over to their worldliness. The things that they wanted, the things that they desired. Babylon itself is the example of a world system in defiance to God. You're going to see in a minute that not only, you know, God not only gives us the desires of our hearts, He gives us not only the good things, but He gives us the bad things as well. Scripture talks about how God gives us the desires of our hearts. Well, some of us don't desire good things. And there is a time that we continue to resist the prodding of the Holy Spirit. He will withdraw Himself and let you indulge in the very thing that you have been desiring until it hurts. Until it causes enough pain for you to repent of your sin and to come back to the Lord. He will do that to us. And that's what he did to the children of Israel. They had had put themselves into idolatry. They had pursued these other gods. And God said, you know what? I'm going to let happen what I told you would happen if you did this. And he sends them into exile into Babylon. This is biblical. This is true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives counsel to turn an unrepentant brother over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh and the salvation of his soul. That is what is happening in America today. Hear what I'm saying. In a sense, the Lord is giving the United States of America over to Satan. In other words, that passage, what that's talking about, he's, he's, he's drawing himself back in the leadership to allow them to purge them, not to purge themselves, to fill themselves with every indecent thing that they have lusted after until it hurts. Why? So that they can be saved. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. Think about what happened in Babylon when God sent the children of Israel there in exile. He did two things. It was twofold. It had a twofold purpose. Number one, to purge the sin out of Israel, to cleanse her and to bring her to a place of repentance so that she would be washed white, so that she would become a child of God again, so that she could be restored to where she was. That was a promise of God to Jeremiah. He said, I'm going to restore it. I'm going to bring her back. Don't worry. But he sent them there. That was number one, to deal with them. Number two was to break Babylon. God injected himself into a nation where he wasn't welcome. They said, we want to take over Israel. We want to spoil them. We want to take them 
captive. And God said, you know what? I'm going to give you the desire of your heart. And they brought Israel in. And folks, how many of you actually read the book of Daniel? You put a bunch of children of God into a nation that was once godless. It don't take them very long to repent and figure out that they were sinful. And suddenly things started happening and changing. And a revival took place. Multiple times of revivals. Folks, you and I have been injected into this godless culture for such a time as this. Just as Esther was put into the king's palace for such a time as this. It may get dark. They may come after us. I don't know. But I can tell you this. God hasn't left you. God hasn't deserted you. God hasn't turned away from you. God wants to purge you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to make you holy. And he wants you to be the light of the world to this dark place so that we can break Babylon. That's the plan of God for us today. That's it. You see, we, we, we keep looking at it from the wrong standpoint. This is the greatest opportunity in the world to live for Jesus, to be the light, to be an opposite. Oh, there's going to be conflict. Oh, who cares? Get past the conflict. Of course there's going to be conflict. Up until things got serious and Christians finally got serious. Isn't it bad that it had to go clear this far before Christians started saying, well, I ain't going to agree with that. We agreed with everything else up to marrying homosexuals. Isn't it sad that we got to the last two things on the list of Leviticus chapter 18 before we woke up and said, okay, now that I can't agree with. We agree with premarital sex. We agree with all these other forms of debauchery and everything else. Christians are arguing, Pastor, I should be able to drink alcohol. And Pastor, I should do this. You know, legalize marijuana. You know, it's natural. I worship Jesus and I smoke weed. What? (laughs) Find some high Christian on the street corner. (laughs) Legalizing gay marriage? Seriously? (laughs) No, that's wrong, man. (laughs) Wake up, America! Isn't it sad that it took the church this long? Deception. But God knows what He's doing. He's waking us up. He's waking us up in the same way that the United States was woke up at Pearl Harbor. I really believe there's an enemy behind all this that's going, I'm afraid we just woke up a sleeping giant. And I believe God is going to work in such a powerful way in our lives and He's going to inject us into this culture And yes, there's going to be conflict, but there's going to be victories. And there's going to be challenges, and there's going to be overcoming. And there's going to be souls saved. God has given our nation over to a reprobate mind. So that the church can rise up and lead them to salvation. I fully believe that signs and wonders are going to increase in America, and we'll hit that in a minute. Let's get started. I've talked a long time, and I haven't even started yet. <laughs> so everybody look at your neighbor and say, we're going to be here a while. <laughs> Romans chapter 1. Scriptural proof. Now, I know we've talked about this before, but just for the sake of this whole series, we have to lay this foundation to make sure that we're, we're, we're as clear as crystal on all these things. Scriptural proof of America. America is being given over to the things she has lusted after. Romans chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, everybody say therefore. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Stop there for just a second. We see a pattern here in Romans chapter 1. People refuse to glorify God as God. They, they refuse to honor Him as God. And it says this, this level right here where it is is an easy place just to begin. Sexual impurity, degrading of their bodies with one another. Can you all tell me when the sexual revolution took place in America? When was that? I hear, I hear a whole bunch of 60s. Everybody's going, you all whispered it and all I heard was 60s. I thought I had a bunch of snakes in the room or something. I may have a couple, you never know. 60s. We're Pentecostal, right? Some snakes in the room. We keep talking about getting rubber snakes, and when we pray for the softball game before we start, all of us hold the rubber snakes. <laughs> it may still happen, folks. As bad as we got beat the other day, we'll, get, we'll do something to scare people away from them. <laughs> Sexual revolution took place in the 60s. Think about that, how far back that was. Free love, and suddenly this embraced mindset that that uh, sexual activity outside of marriage, some, some reason, was suddenly a good thing and acceptable and something that's praiseworthy and something that's good. Hmm. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Our, church, our, our communities, our nation became very economically focused. It became very focused on things and the the way of life of, of, of uh, you know, America and, and wealth and glory and, and pursuing things that were created rather than the Creator Himself. Verse 26, of, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. If we stop here and we look back here, verses 26 and 27, we see where we were a year ago in our culture. The, 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 the stamp of shame was removed from homosexuality. There is no shame. Matter of fact, it is glorified and it is celebrated. You know, people are excited to go to their first gay wedding like they just are a part of some great movement. Like it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Folks, to stop and, and to say that this is okay, it's very clear that there's a process of our nation going from the sexual rev revolution to where all these things are accepted. And now we've embraced gay marriage, we've embraced homosexuality as though it's common. And then look at verse 28. God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's where we are today. We've surpassed verses 26 and 27. And we are now in a culture of depraved minds. 
if you don't believe me, try to argue these topics. Folks, they put, can I be honest with you again for just a second? I was a chubby little kid. You know, I used to get told I was fat. People thought it was cute. They'd call me Bobby Fat Child. Just before I punched him. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get made fun of very long, but my friends that were my close friends, they'd make fun of me. We'd laugh about it. Hey, fat child, they called me lots of things. Um, you know, I don't see the news media taking me and putting me on television crying and saying how hard it was for me to have to take my shirt off and play skins basketball during basketball because people make fun of my belly. And how sad it is and that we need to ban all skins versus shirts basketball games from here on because I was called fat. <laughs> but right now they're digging up less than 1% of our culture that they can find anybody that's had a mental condition, mental condition, trying to figure out whether they're a boy or a girl. I can answer the question. That's right. Yep, you're a boy. <laughs> you're a girl. I can do it with a puppy. Pick it up, pull the tail up. Yep, it's a boy. It's a girl. No, you can't do it, though. Thank you, Greg. I don't have that permission. But you take that individual, you put them on the TV and play this whole sad sob story. That's why they're going to put boys going to my girl's restroom now. Because somebody's feelings were hurt. Well, I got called fat child. My feelings were hurt. Folks, we live in a world of depraved minds. People don't get it anymore. There's the, you, you, you have thrown common sense out the window. They will let you identify yourself as a different race, a different gender, a different age. You could identify yourself right now on a college campus, and I could identify myself as a 6'4 Asian woman that's, that's seven years old. And that would be okay. Hey, whatever you know, whatever you you feel good about, folks. We have moved. And I had a friend put this on, on in a blog recently, an AG pastor, and they said, "Look, uh, the church used to just worry about. Uh, let me try to get this straight in my head. They used to worry about the fact that people would teach and preach that sin is relevant." He said, "We're way past that now. Not that sin is relevant, relative." He said, "Now reality is relative." It doesn't even have to be the real. I mean, you can look and, and say, I'm this. And, and they look at you and say, you can't say, no, you're not. Or else you're the one that's attacked. That's called a depraved mind. That's a culture that's left behind sense and sensibility. That's a culture that has embraced so many lies and philosophies that they can't just stop and go, well, yep, that's, that's what that is. No, you can't. We've lost our minds. We have lost our minds. That's depravity. This is the map, folks. This is where we are. And, and, and I don't mean to stay on this forever because I've got off my notes like seven times already. But sexual sin is a slope that will end in destruction. 100% of the time, it is never satisfied. It will always move to the next thing. Listen, you can't turn your television on without seeing out of Indianapolis. Every other day, there's another administrator, another teacher, another government worker, somebody that's molested a child. Why? Why is that? Because sexual lust is never satisfied. 
And it continues. And it grows. And it goes to the next thing. And the next thing. And we call it good. I had a couple of our young adults come to me and talk to me about some information that they had received. Things that are coming up uh, you know, down the pipe from our culture to be accepted. One of them is incest. One of them is incest. And they call it, uh, I don't remember what it is, genetic something, genetic, genetic attraction. Intergenetic attraction or something. I don't know what they call it. They changed the name from the shameful word incest to something different so that it can be approved and accepted. Bestiality, folks, is on the rise. I stood up here and I said this one day, it's been a year or two ago, I said, when you start going down Leviticus chapter 18, all the things that are defined as sexually immoral, the last two on the list are homosexuality and the very last one is bestiality. And I've always said, God's not going to judge America because of the homosexuals or anybody with bestiality. He's going to judge us for all of our sin, but they are a sign to us where we are in relation of expecting that judgment as a nation. And they said, Pastor, I didn't, I didn't think that that was even possible. But it's out there. I said, it is coming. It always starts on the underground first, and it builds steam. Listen, sin is like this. Sexual sin is like this. You build confidence behind closed doors, and then you start coming out. Oh, what? What did I just say? Did I just say come out? It's the truth. 100% of the time was sexual sin. And so we have to know and understand that these things are coming. Uh, it's where we are in our culture. Scripture said God gave them over to shameful lusts. And this meaning this, that the shameful lust was removed. They, he allowed them to remove that. They continued on to a depraved mind. And the things I just said about being fat child. See, I jumped all over my notes. I did go to the bathroom with a woman at Disney World this last year. Walked into the bathroom and walked over to the urinal and Kurt walks in next to me and, and uh, we're doing our thing. And he goes, you know, there's a woman in here. <laughs> sure enough. She just standing there with her purse over her shoulder, talking on the phone, waiting in the line to the toilets. Yeah, well, I know. Well, I don't know. We'll try to get over it. It's a small world after we're done here, I guess. But after that, don't. I'm not kidding you. The line for the ladies' restroom was clear out around the corner. It was like clear over two. It's a small world. And this lady thought, I'm not waiting in that line. And I thought, she is a brave woman. Now, ladies, let me help you out with something. If, if they open up all of our bathrooms, just anybody, whoever wants to, anytime, don't think I'm going to take the short line of the men's restroom. Here's why. Them toilets is nasty. I don't even want to sit on those toilets. You're not gaining anything. And there's always a price to pay, okay? So just remember that. But when you hit a depraved mind, let's finish up Romans 1. When you hit a depraved... Everybody's like, I can't come back, can I? When you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 29, and you hit the point of having a depraved mind, look what happens in verse 29. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. Now, as I read through this list, just stop and think if you've encountered any of this nonsense recently. Evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Parents, teachers, school is about out. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Quickly, folks, you say, I don't approve of this nonsense. Yes, you do. You have. 
Every time you go to the movie theater and you sit and you watch the depravity on the screen and say it's all fake and make-believe, you supported it. Every time you turned on a cute little Will and Grace show where there were homosexuals and they were oh so funny on there, you supported it. Every time that you uh, were a part of anything, if you were illegal in how you return your taxes and lied on those, you supported it. Folks, listen to me. We need to stop supporting it. As I said earlier, it took us a long time to stand up and say, no, that's not right. We let things go too long. You ready for some good stuff? Turn over to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at scriptural proof that our God has not given up on our culture. What I just read in Romans chapter 1, that's where we're at, okay? That's where our nation is and where it's heading in depth and in deeper depravity. But if we look at Romans chapter 5, we see these verses, 19 through 21, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, speaking of Adam, Adam's sin is the result, it's why we are where we are today, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We see again a pattern of events here. We see Adam, the one through whom sin came into the world. It was his sin that permeated our culture and led us to where we are today. It had its origin in the Garden of Eden. When man stood up and said, I'm going to be my own God, I'm going to make my own path and do that. So we know that that's where that started. It was bad enough that God flooded the earth because mankind only thought about evil and wickedness in his mind always. We know the earth was flooded. We know that that God did that work there to start over with Noah and his family. It was after the flood that this anti-God mentality became organized and was to build a tower of the, up to the heavens. I love, 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 love that it's the offspring and the lineage of Nimrod to defy God and build a tower to thumb their nose at God. Don't you love it? Have you ever seen anybody who said, boy, that guy's a real Nimrod, isn't he? I love it that his name was Nimrod. So they built the tower and they, they put it up and they, in, in the top of the towers they were for stargazing thing. These types of towers historically, that's what they were used for. But Bible philosophers believe that it was built in defiance of God after the flood to say to God, if you flood this earth and try to wipe us out again, we're going to be above the water line. This attitude of defiance. And we know that that tower was called Babel. And we know that the place it was at was later called Babylon. And this mentality, this anti-God, self-sufficient mentality, all throughout the scripture, from there in the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation, when you see Babylon referenced, it's always referenced as a place that totally defies God, that is self-sufficient. It is where the root of the world is, and worldliness itself is birthed out of Babylon. Today, our culture is intoxicated with Babylon. We know that through one man, Jesus, salvation came to all mankind. Everybody say, all. Jesus is still the answer. He's still sufficient. He's still able to deliver. He's still the one that's going to sort the mess out. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. This is where I get excited because Paul says that God gave the law so that the trespass would increase. In other words, not that people would sin more, but they would see their sin more. 
They would recognize God gave the law to these folks that come out of Egypt. They were full of gods. They were full of things from the culture they were in. God brings them out. He takes them to the mountain, gives Moses the law, gives them the law so they can see God and know how to worship Him as He is. So when sin increased, the law was given so that they would see it and the sin would, be, would increase through that, knowing their sin and they could be saved through it. Fourthly, God's motive is this. That just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Think about this for just a second. The fact that that you know how it is, how easy it is to sin. Sometimes you think, well, I ought to just... You know what I'm talking about? Softball game yesterday. I was like, well, I ought to just charge a mound with a bat and just beat the daylights out of everybody. (laughs) It's easy to produce that kind of an attitude, isn't it? Just as easy as it is to develop sin in your life, you didn't have to try to develop sin, did you? It just kind of happened. God's God's plan for us, folks, is that grace would abound in, in life and in righteousness with the same easiness and natural reaction as sin reacts in our life. God wants to do that for us. You say, but what does this plan have to do with breaking Babylon, Pastor Bob? You say, look, when sin increases, grace increases. God never changes. And His nature and His plan to make sure that sin will never overcome grace is eternal. And when sin increases, grace will increase the more. Come on, child of God, this is where it gets good. Now, some of you say, Pastor, you're pulling that out of context. I may be just a tad pulling out of context. Let's talk about the context of that scripture. It's talking about the sin in our lives. Where our sin has increased, the greater the sin there is in your life, the greater amount of grace there is to cover it. And there's not an amount of sin that you can do in this life that there's not grace there to cover it and to take care of it. But the principle is true that God is great and there is no depravity that is going to outweigh God's grace. And I'm telling you, for our culture, there is no amount of depravity that's going to outweigh God's grace for it. God wants to send His grace over the United States of America in a massive flood through His people in every town, in every place, in every corner of the United States of America. And He wants to pour out His Spirit on this nation and save it from itself. Can I get an amen? When sin abounded before the law, it was there. There was the issue before the law. And how was it that God would capture the hearts of men before the law was there? We just read the law was given. Well, we know the law was given after Egypt. How is it that God caught the attention of the the children of Israel and a nation called Egypt? How did He do it? Two words. You ready? Signs. Wonders. Signs. Wonders. When it was time for Moses to go in and say, let my people go, how did he convince Pharaoh? Signs and wonders. When the children of Israel saw him as their leader, how was it they were convinced to follow this man Moses? Signs and wonders. Listen to me, folks. In these last days, in this culture where we live today, God is going to begin to pour out signs and wonders in the United States of America. For years and years we've said, oh, they're doing it over here in Argentina and China's seen all these signs. Why not here? I can tell you why, because we've been living in the lazy lap of luxury, very methodically just walking around, meandering through life, saying religious 
sentences here and there and, and saying what. But listen, folks, we have no persecution. We have no reason to seek, cry out, or beg for God. And so we didn't. Out of God's grace, He's letting our nation pursue the lust of its heart so that He can show us signs and wonders again. It's coming. I say it with absolute boldness and confidence in my spirit. It's coming. After the law was given, did the children of Israel live in complete honor to God? No. How did God get the attention of Israel in the surrounding cities and and the Gentiles? How did He do that? He sent Jesus. Well, how did Jesus capture the hearts of men and so they would follow Him and He would sit down by the Sea of Galilee and they would all come and sit down and listen to Him? How did that happen? Signs and wonders. Blinded eyes were open. The dead was raised. John the Baptist's followers come to Jesus and say, are you the one we're supposed to follow? And he says, look around. Go back and tell John what you're seeing here. Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. And Jesus told them, I want you to believe because of these signs and wonders. Remember Lazarus? I was reading my devotions just the other day in John 11. Lazarus was dying and Jesus told the disciples, he said, Lazarus is sick. And then he said, he's asleep, but we're going to go wake him up. And they were like, Lord, let him sleep. It's good for him. And I agree with that statement. If I'm asleep, <laughs> let me sleep. It's good for me. Even though it doesn't look good when I sleep, <sighs> let me sleep. So Jesus clarified to the disciples and he said this, Lazarus is dead, all right? He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad. What? kind of a friend would say he's glad that Lazarus is dead glad I wasn't there so that you may believe 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 but let us go to him John 12 you skip over there and we see this this motive that he had was to show miracles so that the disciples would believe but then it moved beyond the disciples in John 12 we see them again at, at, at a house and resting in verse 9 meanwhile a large crowd of jews found out that jesus was there and came not only because of him but also to see lazarus whom he had raised from the dead so the chief priests made plans to kill lazarus as well for on account of him many of the jews were going over to jesus and putting their faith in him everybody say large crowd large crowd They came and showed up. Why? Because the Jews were believing in Jesus because Lazarus, who was dead, lives. Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. What did Jesus tell the disciples before he left? He said the word will be confirmed with signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Folks, Just so you know, the church in America hasn't been normal for a long time. We are are so far from normal, we think we're normal and everybody else is wrong. Flip that around. We aren't seeing signs and wonders because number one, we don't expect them. Number two, we don't think we need them. We're self-sufficient. And if we're self-sufficient and think we don't need signs and wonders, how many of you have loved ones that are absolutely deceived by our culture right now and they have embraced the doctrines of homosexuality and other things. Raise your hand. Tell me, 
How many of you are in here and you, they will argue you till they're blue in the face that this is all a wonderful thing? Your loved ones need to see the power of God. Atheists will not be converted by your arguments. Atheists are not going to turn back when they've seen lazy Christians living half-hearted lives of hypocrisy before God. The only thing that's going to turn them around is when the dead gets up again. It's the only time is when those eyes are going to be opened up in Jesus' name. Those ears are going to be working again. When there's a creative miracle in someone's neck and their thyroid's grown back. It's time for the church to begin to believe these things again. It's time for the church to recognize and understand if our world is going to be changed and our culture going to be changed, then we need to know and understand that God is always going to show Himself bigger. Whenever Babylon rises, God will show Himself to be bigger, stronger, more powerful every single time. We know in the book of Revelation, there are going to be signs and wonders taking place, both from heaven and also by the two witnesses of God on the earth. Signs and wonders are going to cause people to believe. And it's also going to cause other people to become angry. Listen, folks, we are in a time right now in our culture where things have shifted. You're either going to be in with Christ or you're going to be out with Christ. You have one decision to make. Either I'm going to be all in with Jesus and I'm going to follow Him, I'm going to believe Him, I'm going to purify my life and walk in truth, or I'm going to go hide in the rocks somewhere and ask for them to fall on me and hide me from the face of the Lamb, the one who sits on the throne. We see that in the book of Revelation, that defiance. Folks, that is where we are headed. But don't lose heart. Because God wants to purify you, and He wants to inject you into this culture as the light of the world. And we're going to see revival. We're going to see lives transformed. We're going to see lives changed. We're going to see outpourings of the Holy Spirit and a move of God like you wouldn't believe. Will there be persecution with it? Yes. We just saw in the scripture, somebody wanted to kill a guy that was just dead weeks before. How cruel is that? He was dead. Raise him to life. I'm going to kill him. So the signs and wonders will invite persecution. It's going to. People are going to call us liars. People are going to say we're crazy. People are going to say that it's all made up. Listen, I don't care what people say anymore. People say a lot of stupid stuff. Good grief. Say stupid stuff about me. You're leaving somebody else alone. Signs and wonders. So here's how we're going to end our service. Two questions. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Question number two. What is it that you have need of today that we can pray for? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you do not, make it known so that we can pray for you. If you are a Christian who realizes there's areas I need delivered in, we want to pray with you. And if you have physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, whatever it is, we want to lay hands on you and believe that God's going to move. Why? Because signs and wonders is a normal thing. And I believe they're going to come. Some people say, Pastor, well, I hadn't seen him. Well, I can tell you this. James says that if we don't ask, we're not going to receive. So we're going to to ask. 
And I believe we're going to receive this morning. So if you bow your heads with me this morning, we're going to just ask those questions again. Do you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and forgive you of your sins? If that's you, just lift up a hand. We're going to pray with you. If you're a Christian, you say, Pastor, I got some issues I need. I need God to work in and deliver me from. You just lift up your hand. We're going to pray with you. You can come up with the others. I see that. I see that. I see that. I see that. Awesomeness. Awesomeness. God is awesome. Put them down. You say, Pastor, I'm here and I have a physical need or emotional need or something of that nature. I'm going to, I, I need to be touched by God and healed or work done in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? We want to see it. See it. Awesome. Awesome. Look at me today real quick, if you will. If you raise your hand the first time, I want you to come over here. If you raise your hand the second time, I want you over here. Some of you raise both hands, put up, stand in the middle. I don't care. But, but I, I love you. I want you to come up here and I just want you to worship the Lord. I want you to begin to pray. Be patient with me. I want to get to every one of you and pray with you. And I want... Uh, is Pastor Zach back helping again somewhere? He's not in here, is he? I'm going to have Pastor Zach pray with me. Maybe, maybe one or two of my deacons, Tim, whoever would come join me to pray with folks. Ken, would you come help me pray this morning too, please? Would you be willing to do that? Uh, I have reasons for asking Ken. He was healed of an elbow thing last week, and I just want him to, to pray over people. I believe God's touching him. So this morning, if you would just take your time, stand up, come up here, and stand by these altars or kneel, whichever it is, whatever your need is, we're going to just touch you. We're going to anoint you with oil and believe God to work. Just begin to seek him if you're in your pews. Just begin to worship, sing, pray, whatever it may be.